Welcome to the Westside Gathering Podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here, you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in. Let's jump in. I mean, this is like, a, we're like a, in an in-between Sunday uh, as, as Advent starts next week. And I'm just wondering, does anybody feel a little bit of a shift in the air, in the atmosphere? Oh, yeah, you do? Cool. That's good. And, and obviously, the colder weather in our, in our part of the world makes us feel that. But as we move from season to season, you know, summer and fall and winter, but not just that, this, this season as we enter next week... Um, which we call Advent for a few weeks. Le- you know, that whole Advent season is about anticipation, about waiting, about uh, anticipating uh, God's, you know, God's future, the fullness of God's future kingdom and new creation. We're going to be jumping into that next week. And of course, Christmas. Who's excited about Christmas? Um, and so are you ready for it? That's the question, is are you ready for it? Not just for Christmas. And I don't mean like gifts and all that stuff. That's all cool and, and that's fun. But are you ready for... Uh, you know, a few weeks of, of jumping into the theme of anticipation and waiting that we see throughout the whole scriptural story. And then after that, it's, it's interesting, we kind of like back, like go back in time and then celebrate the incarnation. I'm excited for that. Uh, I want to be ready for that. But today, we're going to take a day, we're going to take a day just to ground our feet on solid ground. Sound good? Just to ground our feet so the whirlwind of the next few weeks, and I don't mean what's happening here. Uh, we won't throw you off your rocker when you come on Sunday. I mean, if the Lord does that, that's cool. But what I'm saying is that the whirlwind that's ha- is, gonna, that, you know, is unleashed on Black Friday, I think, up until, up until um, Boxing Day and New Year's, uh, sometimes it can take the wind out of us. And so today we're going to just pause and, and just focus on a simple but really big theme and remind ourselves that Jesus is King. Sound, that, that's the idea today. So if you've got your Bible, turn to Jeremiah chapter 23. And I know we're talking about Jesus and we're jumping back into the Old Testament. Why are we doing that? How is that possible? You'll see as we go along. So Jeremiah 23, uh, this, is, this is a fascinating text. And actually the Ezekiel text we read today uh, is very parallel to this one. So let, let's just read this and then jump in today. Here's a prophet, Jeremiah, speaking to the people of Israel And he says these words, now particularly to their leaders, Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you've scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their pasture, where they will be fruitful and increase in number. And I will place shepherds over them who will tend them, and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. And in his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. And this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior. Let's pray for a moment. God, we pause 
and we welcome your word into our lives, into this season, into our world, um, into our mind and in our thinking as well, God. And so we just, we invite you uh, to do something beyond what I could even do, um, and that is to really speak deeply into our hearts, oh God. And so just captivate our attention today as we lean into this theme and this scripture and um, also just to root ourselves firmly on solid ground today. In Jesus' name, amen. So this prophet Jeremiah is writing to a people in exile. Uh, They're far from the, the life they hoped for. And this happens to be a geographical exile, but many of us live in emotional or relational exile. Sometimes we feel we're far from the place we want to be. We're far from the way we long our relationships to be, the way we want to be emotionally, internally. Uh, this exile is a mix of everything, but part of it is a, is a geographical exile. And there's this promise for these people that are in exile, that are far from home and far from the life they hoped for. And there's this phrase, if you heard, and it was li- literally Jeremiah writing this, you know, on God's behalf, because we see three times in this passage, declares the Lord, declares the Lord, declares the Lord. And here, God says, the days are coming. Now, if you're watching a movie, that's normally not a good line. It's like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? The days are coming, right? Um, when we say that, or somebody says that, often it, it like leans to a negative situation. But this phrase, the days are coming, that God declares is not a negative situation. It's actually a hopeful message. There's a hopeful message for the people that are in a bad situation, and any day for them besides the day that they're living is a better day. They're they're hoping for something, but here God says the days are coming, and He's going to speak something uh, not just positive, but good and hopeful to them. Because, but, but there's like turmoil going on among the people of Israel, and Jeremiah is exposing what's going on. He's exposing failed leadership in Israel. And, you know, Israel wasn't just a spiritual people that worshiped God. Israel was also a nation, that kind of people, especially in that time period. And so Jeremiah is exposing the failed leadership of Israel. King after king often in that season was doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. In other words, they were doing things and leading in such a way, and part of their motivation and their actions were, were, were leading people in a way that they weren't flourishing, And so what was happening is many strayed from, in a sense, faith or the life of faith or the life that God was calling them to, but also a life of flourishing, also a life of what it meant to flourish as God's people. Some of the clues is how they were treating each other, is how they were, uh, you know, uh, participating in their worship. And one of the big clues that a lot of the prophets often, you know, talk about is how they were treating the poor and the needy among them. And when they weren't compassionate or weren't generous or weren't considerate or welcoming, often God actually did speak judgment to them. And here, Israel's in a time where they're split into two kingdoms by this time, and and Judah and Israel, and, and Israel was exiled to Babylon. And so you see this phrase in this text we read that the sheep are scattered. And there's the shepherd sheep metaphor, you know, kind of the leaders of the people, and then all the people inclusively, and the sheep were scattered. They were away from their, their land geographically. And I don't want you to get mixed up with modern-day Israel as I'm speaking. I want us to kind of be firmly 
in the 5th, 6th century BC, okay? Sounds good. Um, and so, so here, as, as Jeremiah is speaking to them, and God's judging the shepherds. And he's speaking, basically, the word shepherds, but I mean, he's speaking to the kings and the leaders and the caregivers of the people. It's, in, in fact, you read this in the second half of verse 2 where God is telling them, because you have scattered my flock and you've driven them away and you've not bestowed care on them, right? This is, this is what they've been doing. I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done. This is like a serious judgment on the leaders of this people. But God also promises this intervention, which is incredible, because then in verse 3, he says, I myself will gather the remnant of my, of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture. Then in verse 4, he says, I will place shepherds over them who will tend to them. This is pretty cool because first God says, I myself will do this, but then he says, I will place other shepherds over them. So God, in some way, is going to do something through another means. Yes, he's doing it, but he's going to choose a means or a people or other leaders to do it. That's the, the language we see here. And we know what this feels like, because when we go through a season um, that's not so great, like this is happening in Quebec right now, there's strikes going on, and people are like, we want the leaders to do something, and maybe we need another leader to do something, and uh, we're not going to have a conversation about that in this moment. But that's the feeling, right? We, then we're like, oh, maybe we need other leaders. Oh, we need a better leader. leader. Maybe we should get rid of this leader and get uh, someone else. And uh, that's why elections bring so much hope to people, sometimes false hope to people, right? Because we're like, oh my gosh, this person has been so horrible for the last four or five or eight years, but this person, this person is going to do amazing. And this is what happened under this person's watch, but this is going to happen under this person's watch, and it's going to be so much better. And wait till this one person is out and this other person is in, and then we're going to be great. And then we see all the comparison ads, you know, like on social media and on news reports and all that stuff, and even just coming out uh, from these leaders' mouths of comparing one another. And we come to realize shepherds don't always live up to their promises. Uh, people who lead don't always lead up to their promises. Even if they're have good motives, sometimes it doesn't work. Of course, those with bad motives or um, I would say a wrong framework especially. Shepherds don't always live up to their promises, but sheep don't either. In other words, leaders don't always lead up to their, you know, live up to their promises, but all of us are kind of in that boat where leaders and sheep or shepherds and sheep or leaders and people in a sense are both responsible. In fact, when when Ezekiel, from the text we read earlier in, in our worship time, brings judgment to the shepherds and the sheep, he doesn't just call out the shepherds, he also calls out the sheep. Because there's a responsibility that all of us have in what is happening in, in the present moment. And I guess the big idea is this, we're all responsible for how the world doesn't live up to God's vision. Doesn't mean like to, to carry that weight, like, oh my gosh, the world's not living up to God's vision. I'm an idiot. I haven't done anything. It's not that. It's it's to it's to not just step away and say, everybody's bad and I'm good. Everybody's doing a bad job, I'm doing a great job. If everybody just did what was in my head, then the world would be great. The the reality is we're all responsible for how the world doesn't live up to God's vision at a leadership level and at a cultural and social level. And this is happening even in Israel in the 5th, 6th century BC. And God's intervention is unique. 
and holds big promise. And we read it in verse 5 and 6, where, where we'll, just, we'll just read it again. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. And in his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior. When it says that God will raise up for David, you can also replace the word for from, from David, a righteous branch. In other words, King David from Israel's history was not perfect, was not great, was flawed, but there was something about that era of kingship in Israel that was like, this is kind of how it could be or should be. Again, not perfect. And so now from David's um, branch, some, or God's going to pull something from that branch. In, a, in other words, his lineage from the king who was not perfect, but close to something reflecting God's vision for Israel. And the, what God's solution is, is another leader, but not just any leader. Did you catch the name at the end of that promise? It's the Lord, our righteous Savior. That's the promise. That's the unique solution. The Lord, our righteous Savior. Names are important. Does anybody here have a name that your parents gave you that they hoped you would live into? When, when my sister did the speech at my older brother's wedding, my older brother's full name is Richard William Manifold. Sounds pretty classy. And that's what she said. She said they gave him a name with class in case he didn't grow up with any class. <laughs> that was her speech. That was the speech at my brother's wedding. And we all laughed. And I don't know if he was like, oh, really? Thanks, Liz. But, um, but does, do any of you guys have a name that like, has real meaning or purpose to it? Like your parents gave it to you so you would become this. Anybody out there? You don't have to like tell, you know, you don't have to let us know what it is or if you're living up to the name or anything like that. Um, but, so I did this kind of Google search and there was like this list of like the top hundred names with real meaning to it. And here's a few. They're on the screen. So like Aaron has a Hebrew root and it means enlightened. So any of the Aaron's out there are meant to be enlightened. Austin, a Latin root is majestic dignity. Imagine that. That's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Amelia, uh, from a German, uh, you know, language, industrious and striving. Xander in Greek means protector of men. I like, I think these two are very like 21st century. Nela in Arabic is successful. And Robert, German, is bright fame. Fame and success. That's kind of like 21st century, right? That's what everybody's looking for. Um, and I just thought this one was really cool. Ella from English, light, beautiful fairy woman. We have an Ella in our church, maybe. And, and I'm like, yes, you know, Ella, you're a beautiful fairy woman. <laughs> I think it's cool. It's cute. It's nice. Now, I was really fortunate. My, my parents named me David. There's no, like, action-oriented thing I got to live up to. My name in Hebrew means beloved by God, which gave me a really great thing because it doesn't matter what I do, if I'm good <laughs> or bad, if I accomplish anything, at the end of the day, I'm just beloved by God, right? And, and so that's cool. Now, one of the kings that, that Jeremiah was speaking to in this era, his name was Zedekiah. He was one of the kings during that era, and, and, um, and Jeremy's pro Jeremiah's prophecy is like addressed partly to him, and Zedekiah has a really great name. His name is Yahweh is my faithfulness. That's the, that's the meaning of Zedekiah's name. Yahweh, or the Lord, is my faithfulness. This is really hopeful. I mean, for the people of Israel, that their king would be named Zedekiah, that his name would mean the Lord is my faithfulness, would mean that he, Zedekiah, would be faithful. 
or that maybe him as a king or a person would rely on God's faithfulness or hopefully in his leadership, in what he did as a king, would reflect God's faithfulness. That was the hope, that Zedekiah would live into his name for the sake of God's people. But Jeremiah's prophecy is exposing the failed leadership of Israel, including Zedekiah's. In other words, he didn't live up to his name. He didn't live up to his purpose. He was one of the shepherds being judged by Jeremiah, ultimately by God. But notice the name of this promised king. The Lord is our righteous Savior. God calls him the righteous branch. Now, the word righteous in this passage, in the original, could also be faithful. God calls him a faithful branch, this king, this leader that's going to come. And the final name is the Lord, our faithful Savior. The Lord, our faithful Savior. That when the Zedekiahs, who were called to reflect God's faithfulness, don't do it, God is going to send a king who represents, who is God, our faithful Savior. In other words, God's going to provide for the lack of faithfulness in the failed kings by sending a king who is our faithful Savior. Isn't that amazing? A king who will be our faithful Savior. And one who's described as someone who will reign wisely with wisdom and discernment. And one who will do just and right, do what is just and right. And one who will rescue where the tribes split, the tribes of Israel split, one Judah and one Israel, and will rescue Judah even though it seems like their destiny is dead. And will keep Israel safe while in exile and beyond. Not a bad resume, right? It's not a bad resume for a leader. And this, this fits into the whole story of Scripture because the whole story of Scripture is, a, is God's restoration project. From where us thinking that everything has gone horrible from Genesis 3 and the fall where our relationship with God and with each other and with the planet feels broken and there's a spiraling from Genesis 3 to 11. God, you know, chooses Abraham. We heard that last week, um, you know, from, from Kenzo. And, and, and God starts this restoration project through Abraham and then the tribes of Israel and Israel. But even that even though they were meant to be a light to the nations, that didn't fully work out. They didn't live up to their vocation, but God still has a restoration project. And even in the failed leadership of Israel that Jeremiah is exposing, God's restoration project is still on his agenda. And God promises to make things right or bring things to rights and promises a king that will fulfill it and will bring the world to right, and will bring God's new creation. And for this to work, it can't just be any king. I mean, the king will come from David's lineage, but the king can't repeat David's life because David's life was also flawed. He was good, and we looked to him in you know, comparisons, but he was still flawed. And inside this promise of the prophet Jeremiah, we see the promise of Jesus. We see the promise of Jesus coming, and we see the promise of God becoming king in Christ. And we see what's not written in this text, but what is kind of around this text is God's promised Messiah, which basically means the Christ. The word Messiah means the Christ, the anointed one. And 
while we love to call Jesus Jesus, that's just his name, but his title is the Christ. And he is God's Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. And what's really amazing is as, as the sto- whole story of Scripture continues and Jesus comes onto the scene and we see him being born, which we're going to celebrate you know, later in December, but there's a, a, someone by the name of Zechariah and he happens to be married to Elizabeth and Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist and her cousin Mary is pregnant with Jesus. And there's a moment when, um, you know, Zechariah ends up kind of bursting out in song, in prophetic song, and he writes, uh, Luke writes this for us in Luke chapter 1, and in verse 68, 69, there's kind of, it's kind of split into the song. Part of the song is about Jesus, part of the song is about John the Baptist, and the first part, and we're just going to read two verses, he says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us, in the house of his servant David. The word horn there means strong king. He's raised up for us a strong king who saves. A strong king who saves. This is now letting us know that what God was planning, what God was, was how God was going to intervene for the sake of Israel and for the sake of the world, for all of us, was going to come through this king. We see Jesus' life in the Gospels, we see him live, we see him interact with people, we, see, we, hear, we, see, we read his teachings, we read about his miracles, we read about how he embodies the justice and peace and love and well-being of God's original vision for Israel and God's vision for the whole world. And we see how he's faithful to God's uh, purposes and God's mission. He's faithful, so faithful he goes to a cross. So faithful he dies under Roman rule and under the weight of the sin expressed through the authorities of our world. But he's raised from the dead, and he ascends to God's right hand. And what we have here is a picture of Jesus, the Christ, the King. That's the theme today. Jesus, the Christ, the King. And later, this Jew who was antagonistic and hostile to the Christ, those who were becoming followers of Jesus at the time, finding them and trapping them, even killing them and imprisoning them, he discovers Jesus, he follows Jesus, and we know his name, his name is Paul. And this person, Paul, who begins to follow Jesus, one of the most convinced, convic- convicted in his heart, a deeply rooted Christ follower named Paul begins to reach out to both Jews and then eventually Gentiles and plants churches in that region and beyond. And he writes something to this Colossian church, this church that he had planted and started and then wrote back to. And he writes this in verse 13 and 14 of chapter 1. He says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son, the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And I love how Paul, this person who was trying to entrap these new Christ followers, encounters Jesus himself and realizes he is the king. He is the Christ, the king. 
And later, as he writes to these churches, and you can see it in different letters that he writes, but I love how he expresses it here to the, to the Colossians, that, that God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In other words, the kingdom means the society, the people, the community where Jesus is king. He brings us into that kingdom, the kingdom of the son he loves. That's where we find redemption. That's where we find forgiveness. That's where we find life. And we, we can just bring it together here. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the king that Israel longed for and the world needed. And I so appreciate that today on the church calendar, even though we don't always follow it religiously, but today on the church calendar, the theme is Jesus Christ the King. And it comes at the end of what's known as ordinary time. And if you were with us back in June, after Pentecost, we had just one message kind of like launching us into ordinary time because we wanted all the things we were learning from, you know, the winter and through the life of Jesus and Easter and the resurrection and the ascension and Pentecost, that then that would like lead us and guide us that we would follow Jesus empowered by the Spirit in everyday life, ordinary time. Ordinary time is not just summer, but it's just this idea that as the church, you know, taught one another in earlier times, they wanted to form each other, form each other in the ways of Jesus, form each other in the life of Jesus, and then recognize that that life, that teaching, His life, the life of the Spirit, helps us in ordinary life, in our relationships, in our day-in-day interactions, in our finances, in, in how we interact with people, and how we make decisions. And so that on the church calendar, ordinary time is like six months, and we're at the end of that six months. And I think it's really both wise and important that the church discerned, you know what, before we jump into these thematic um, months from Advent to Christmas and Epiphany and Lent and Easter and Eastertide, Ascension and Pentecost, why don't we end ordinary time recognizing one more time that Jesus is King, that Jesus is the Christ, the King. And I appreciate that so much because by declaring Jesus King of the world, of the cosmos, of our lives, it helps us look back even the last six months or all of our ordinary moments in life and, and ask the question, has my, has my life reflected that Jesus is my King? Is my life reflected that Jesus is my King? And this is not meant to be a weight over us, but it's meant as a pause, as a way that we're spiritually formed constantly to say, is Jesus my Lord? Is Jesus my King? Not only my Savior, but is He my King? Has my life reflected that Jesus is the Christ, the King? But we don't just look back, we look forward, right? Next week, we jump into Advent, and then we soon celebrate Christmas, and we're entering a season where there's so many narratives that are blurred, right? There's the narrative of the Incarnation, or in Advent, there's the narrative of anticipating the second coming or the new creation. And at Christmas, there's a narrative of the new crea- of incarnation. They're so important, important stories and themes and biblical truth that we want to immerse ourselves in. But we know that in our day-to-day lives and whatever is going on in our culture, there's blurred narratives. Um, and Black Friday just started us off with one of those narratives. One of them is consumerism. The frenzy of consumerism that rarely has any limits on our purchases. And so we're, we're often like bombarded with these narratives and called into these narratives. And so we're entering a blurred, a season with blurred narratives. And we're trying to distinguish and discern which ones are pulling at us. How much am I, where am I invested the most? 
the, the good kind of nostalgia of Christmas connected to friends and family, that's not bad. That's part of the narrative. But of course, the truest narrative is the coming of Jesus, the first and the second coming of Jesus. And by declaring Jesus as Christ the King, this is the beautiful thing. We can enter this season under His Lordship and under His vision and under His purposes. Because if we don't, all the other narratives are going to like pull us. All the other narratives have the capacity to take precedent. All of the other narratives are very strong and loud and attractive and interesting. And even part, some of the things inside of them are not all bad. But we want to be driven and following this truth, declaring Jesus Christ is the King. Amen? That's our heartbeat. I'm going to invite our team to come back. Um, we just want to end with a brief moment of worship. But here's two things I want to call us into as we just consider that Jesus is the Christ, the King. Two things, really simple, faith and worship. Faith and worship. Because it does take faith to believe that Christ is King. It does take faith. It took faith for the early Christians that started following Jesus, for those early Jews who then who actually discerned and discovered and came to believe that this Jesus was their Messiah. I mean, there are still Jews today that are waiting for a Messiah. But those Jews in that time period recognized that Jesus was the fullness of God's Messiah. It took faith. It takes faith to do that. And faith is two things. It's trust and it's allegiance. Because we don't always recognize this. We sometimes think faith is just putting our faith in something that might seem impossible. You know, as the scripture would say, like, like faith in something we don't see. You know, we believe, but we don't see. But the word faith, all, it means trust, but it also means loyalty. So our faith in Jesus Christ the King is trust that He is King, that He can lead my life better than I could lead my life, that the narrative that He calls me into the story, God's restoration project all the way towards new creation is true. It takes faith, it takes trust to do that, but it also takes loyalty because we're called to follow Him. And so in the, in the thick of our decisions, whether it's in this season or any season, then we're making those decisions. Am I following? Is He my Lord? Am I allegiant to him or just the stories around me in culture? And the other piece that I want to call us into, and me too personally, and is our worship. That in this season, uh, I think we're going, to be, we're going to be called outside of the narrative of Scripture to worship a lot of things. And it gets really intense. And my invitation to you is, will we make our worship of Christ, worth, worship is giving worth to something. Will we make our worship of Christ the thing, the only thing ultimately we worship? And if Jesus is the Christ, the King, then the invitation is faith and worship. Because what we worship is what shapes us and forms us. And so the invitation to faith trust and allegiance and worship what we give our attention to, what we give our attention to. So I think in the next three, four weeks, it's even more crucial with the spiritual practices and disciplines that we engage in, prayer, scripture, um, being present with the Lord, our time together on Sundays. Um, I think it's even more important because other stories are going to be clamoring for our attention. 
So I want to invite you into that, that this next, this last month of 2023 is really important in our own spiritual formation, in our faith, in our worship. And there's a practice I want to invite you to, and I'm not going to explain it here. It's on our website. Um, it's, a, it's a pre-Advent practice, because Advent starts next week. And on our website, if you go to the next step section and or connecting section, there's a, a spiritual practice link, and you can click that spiritual practice link, and there's a, a few you can find. There's only three available right now, but one of them is just Christ the King. And if you get our e-newsletter, you would have seen it already, but it's just there, just for you to go back to. And it's really a simple, simple way for us to use the scriptures of this day, and more than I quoted, uh, for the next week as a preparation for Advent, where we can just take time to be silent, um, take time to invite God to speak to us through these scriptures as we reflect on them, and, uh, and then to be prayerful about people in our lives in this season uh, that are in need, that are looking for hope, people we're inviting out to our Christmas events because we long for God to, to reveal himself to them because we believe that Jesus leading their lives would be better for them, right? And, um, and then lastly, the practice just ends with an affirmation that we believe that God has sent Jesus and we trust him. And so I want, I'd encourage you, go, go to our website and find that practice as a way for you to just use it this week. And then as we, just, as we wrap up here and we're going to pray and, and um, just reflect for one more moment, on, just look at the world around us. Think about the world around us. We're, let's, like, I'm, not, I'm an optimistic person. I'm, I, I, like, I, I believe that you know, sometimes people say things are worse than they are. But at least I would say, though, that we don't see a widespread influence as Christ the King in our culture between the inbreaking of his kingdom and the incarnation and the, full, like the fullness of it in new creation, we live in this in-between time and we see a world that is hungry for wisdom, right? One who will reign with wisdom. We're, we see a world that is hungry for peace, that is hungry for love, that is hungry for reconciliation, that is hungry for justice, and none of that is fully possible without the right king. But there's no human king that will ever fulfill that. The whole world, now let's just be clear, the whole world will not follow King Jesus right now. They won't. And, we, and we're not called to force them to, to do that. We're not called to force King Jesus on anybody. We're not called to force the kingdom of God on anybody. That's not what we're called to do. We can recognize that not all everybody will, will follow King Jesus. But you can, and I can, and we can, and that's the question, will we? will we? Maybe you say, I'm a Christian. I've been forgiven. God's grace is on me. Um, he's promised me um, forgiveness and eternal life. And maybe there's a slight disconnect with like him actually leading your life. And that's my invitation to you. If that's where you are, even in your, even if it's been years that you've been following Jesus, but just holding on to the good stuff, I'm forgiven, saved, going to heaven, wonderful. But it's like, is he leading our lives? And so the whole world might not follow Jesus, but are you? Am I? He is Jesus Christ, the King. Amen? Amen. We're going to pray. And uh, we're going to pray with Colossians 1. Let's just take a moment. Um, and I'm going to invite you, as we, as we begin to pray, and as we pray this scripture, and the team just ends with one song, our prayer team will be on my left, and if you need prayer for anything, they'd be happy, happy to just spend a few moments with you in prayer.
our Heavenly Father, as we even prepare our hearts to pray or this, this scripture that declares the kingship, the lordship of Jesus, um, we, just, we surrender our hearts to you. We surrender our lives to you. We recognize that Jesus, your son, is the Christ, is the king. And God, wherever there is any gaps in our lives of what that looks like, we just, we surrender them to you. We acknowledge them. We invite your Holy Spirit to lead us and convict us, shape us towards being people who truly follow King Jesus. You've called us into the kingdom of the Son you love. So I'm going to just end reading this portion from Colossians 1. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome, even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com forward slash giving. Until next time, peace.